0: Welcome back to Off The Circle. On today's show, we are going to have Julie Kratz. Uh, Julie's a TEDx speaker, inclusive leadership trainer, executive coach, author, and founder of Next Pivot Point. Uh, Julie's also a friend of mine, and I think the, uh, the timing of this podcast is really incredible as we speak to companies about becoming more inclusive in this, uh, in this time of crisis.
1: based entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before
0: Uh, julie was on our show uh probably a few years ago now and we just absolutely hit it off and I, i love her Uh, what she brings to the table for business leaders and everything. But um, Julie, primarily uh, explain, you know, how you're helping companies and how you're helping society and and everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am a big proponent of uh, gender equality in the workplace, but overall diversity and inclusion. And I talk a lot about how to be an ally. So yes, Doug, you were so kind to be on my podcast uh, where I talk about allies and how to lead like an ally And we need men as allies for women. We also need white allies, straight allies, all types of allies for all types of causes. Um, Because at the end of the day, those that experience diversity, whether that's by race, by um, ethnicity, by your LGBTQ identification, your gender, whatever it is, uh, you're not as likely to be seen, heard, and feel a sense of belonging. in the the workplace, and you're certainly not likely to be represented, uh, especially as you go up in an organization. So that's what I help organizations with is, hey, if who I'm doing business with or who I want to do business with, we're not exactly mirroring at all levels of our organization, how can we get better, right? Because what we know is the upside of this, uh, there's real business case numbers around this. There's also a real human case, (laughs) but the business case says, you know, 87% better decisions, 19% higher revenues, uh, 20 to 40% higher profitability numbers when you reflect who you want to do business with. So it, it's really important that this isn't a nice to have anymore. It truly is a must have in business.
0: And, it, and it, it goes to, you know, I'm a marketer. And one of the things that I always tell people from a marketing standpoint is uh, we tend to market to our bias. And what I mean by that is, if we're fantastic at, let's say, um, you know, pay-per-click marketing, lo and behold, pay-per-click marketing winds up being our best channel, our, the one that we enjoy the most, the one that's natural, everything else. But if you're on the other side where you're an organic search marketer, lo and behold, that's helping your company the most. And it seems that that's the comfort or bias that we tend to fall in as, you know, uh, I say I'm a white older male right and so my my natural tendency is going to be that I align better with other white older males yeah. and that's an that's a natural tendency but in business the problem there is you know if everybody's if everybody's pointing the ship towards the iceberg, <laughs> and agrees that that's the way to go, uh, you hit the iceberg, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you miss out on opportunities. And certainly that's not the only type of demographic you want to do business with. Right.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: It's funny. And I'm I'm so glad you said that, Doug. I I wish more white men would embrace that. It's like, hey, I'm a white older male. And, And guess what? Uh, You're not the problem. I, I think we've done a crappy job of making white men feel like they're responsible for the way society is. We're all contributing to it. We're all living in a system that supports certain types of people and does not support others. I think it's pretty obvious when you look at who controls power, wealth, all key factors from a societal standpoint. But that doesn't mean the person holding the power is the enemy. I actually would argue they're much more of a part of the solution. Yeah. And so how do we engage folks like yourself? How do we have compelling messages and and really what I'm finding in today's environment is you know, I have conversations very regularly, nice virtual copy chats with folks nowadays that I wouldn't have gotten to talk to before, especially white male podcast hosts like yourself that never had someone to talk about diversity yeah. on the podcast. And that's fascinating to me because honestly, what they'll tell me is I'm just looking for something to do, Julie. Like I want to do something to be helpful. And this is a bit of a trap question because yes, you can do something, but you also probably the biggest thing you can do is look inside yourself and just think about what learning am I willing to do, right? And so the things I usually offer for people is just pick up a book. You know, if if you're curious about race, the book White Fragility is a great one. If you're curious about allyship, I've got content on that. If you're curious about gender, there's excellent books on um, women's leadership, for example. So find something that's compelling to you. Find a cause, somebody that's different than you, a cause that's different than you, and read about it. Listen to podcasts about it. Uh, engage in the message. And then you'll start to see how much easier it is to say and do things, right? But the first step might just be education and awareness. And yeah. that's okay.
0: Well, it's it's we're built by our experiences in life, right? And so um i i there's there's this you know photo i know it's it's probably decades old or whatever but it's people standing on each side of a a number six or a number nine you know and one guy says it's a six and the other one says it's a nine and i think it's a such a powerful photo because it's it's you know, we we're told in society that one side has to be right and one side has to be wrong. But most of the time, it's just the perspectives and the experiences that Mm -hmm. kind of develop develop. I, I am absolutely sure that I am always right. <laughs> you know,
1: You are very confident. And, and this, you know, what's interesting about that is white men are usually very confident what they have to say. And so we take it for the truth. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. actually, I find it to be challenges tend to be widely accepted by white men too. So just challenge back if, if you don't agree, but you're right. Perspective taking is what that's called and taking on the perspective of somebody else is really helpful in in the work that we all have to do to support diversity and inclusion just what if, what if someone was coming about this differently? What if they had a different set of life experiences that led them to a different conclusion in this situation? What if the roles were reversed, either gender or race or whatever is at play? How would this go down? And if you, if you think that way and just pause and intervene with your own biases that you're bringing to the table, because we all are, we all have our own set of life experiences, like you said, then you look at it from someone else's perspective and you're like, Oh, that must be how they got there. Maybe they're not being a cruddy human thinking about it totally different to me. Maybe they just have a different perspective. And by the way, if I listen to that different perspective, I am likely to learn something. I am likely to get better. I am likely to come up with, we're likely together to come up with an idea that we wouldn't have come up with before.
0: Right. Right. I, I love that. I, um, an eye opener for me in my life. And this is not a, you know, I'm not trying to, this is not being braggadocious or not. But I had a young friend of mine, uh, African American, uh, that uh, unfortunately had gotten into trouble and went to jail, um, came out of jail. And I didn't know any of that. Uh, he just disappeared you know, for for a while, and then uh, one day I saw him walking down the street in Indianapolis, and I and I was like, oh my god! And I I honked at him, and I said, hey, you know, come over to the office and talk to me. You know, I haven't seen you in you know a year or whatever. And so he came over and talked to me and winds up that uh, he had gotten in trouble, uh, didn't have money for a cab ride, uh, was drinking, uh, and got in a fight with the cab driver who you know was you know basically you know, trying to assault him because he couldn't pay, you know, and, and so he wound up going to to jail for assault. He had a knife on him, uh, didn't pull the knife, but because he had a weapon that was, you know, aggravated and everything else. And so because it was alcohol related, he had to do drug tests and, and random drug tests. And for people that don't know I'll try to make this a quick story, but for people that don't know is if that happens to you, one is you, you know, he came out with a felony So he had a hard time getting a job. He couldn't rent a place. Uh, And then he would get phone calls. He had to text uh, every night um, and see whether he had to do a random drug test the next day. If he had to do a random drug test the next day, he had to pay for that drug test. um, And he had to take time off of work. So he would get fired because he kept Having to go do drug tests every once in a while, he wouldn't have money to pay for the drug tests, and so he went in and out of jail nine times during that. Now here's the kicker: <laughs> he didn't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> of course
1: not, but somehow that has something to do with what happened. Well,
0: this is a
1: great this is a great scenario.
0: Well, and I want to. So I went with him to court. You know, and yeah. I and I and and it opened my eyes because the public defender didn't know that he didn't do drugs. the The prosecutor didn't know that he did, didn't do drugs. The judge didn't know that he didn't do drugs. And so I kept I kept telling. And he's a, a quiet guy, not uh, unassuming. Everything else. And I kept telling him, you got to tell the judge. You got to tell the judge. And finally, he told the judge. The judge looked at the prosecutor and said, "You know how many how many drug tests has he failed?" And the prosecutor goes, "Well." Uh, I forget what they call it, non nonconformance or whatever. You know, like he was like nonconformance like nine times or whatever. And the and the and the judge said, no, that's not what I asked. He said, how many drug tests has he failed? And the prosecutor flips through and says, uh, zero. And he goes, how many drugs tests have he has he taken? And it was like thirty four. And so the judge said, why is this guy on drug testing? <laughs> you know, and he got knocked off. But my point with that is that this was the trap in the revolving door. He couldn't get a car because uh, he didn't, he couldn't, you know, pay for a license. He couldn't get to work. He couldn't, you know, and, and so for those of us that have relatives that have money or friends that could lend us money or a support system uh, or uh, we have skills, you know, that yeah. we could we could go, uh, you know, I could call twenty of my friends and come up with something that I could do for a couple hundred dollars. You know,
1: well, it's just we it's such a great—it's a great scenario. I mean, it's obviously a very sad story and one that I'm sure a lot of African Americans and especially African American men can relate to. Yeah. Flip that story. You know, put me in that cab as a white woman. Right. What would have happened? Even if I had a knife. Right. <laughs> Even if let's just Perfect. throw that on the table. Right? right. And I was drunk and arguing. Nothing. Nothing well, you would, would you, wanna,
0: you would you and even if you had gotten arrested, you would have been home for dinner, right? Right. Because you know, then I would
1: have had friends that would have bailed me out. Yeah. Like this, this would be a non-issue. Drug testing, yeah, right. right. You know, <laughs> and it's just when you flip the scenarios. One of my favorite things to do is to flip it to test it, and it works with any strange scenario. Just flip it, whether it's gender, race, you know, anything, and you start to realize how much the system is rigged, right? Yeah. Because what this man learned is the deck the deck stacked against me. It doesn't matter what I do. Right. Yes, I made a mistake. A mistake that I think a lot of white people have made of being yeah. on the cab with yeah. not money to pay. Like <laughs> that's not a huge mistake. That's, right. that's actually something that happens quite a bit to people. And so that one mistake is gonna cost me my livelihood. It's gonna probably cost me um my ability to my mobility. I mean, uh, mobility is absolutely. such a huge sign of privilege that I as a white person can go into all sorts of different spaces I can go into spaces where I'm the only white person and yeah I'm gonna feel a little jarred but am I truly unsafe right right you ask somebody on the other side of that they're gonna they're gonna tell you all the things they have to go through and what uh, might happen to them
0: although CK said the greatest thing about being white is that you can go anywhere in history (laughs) yeah You can get on a time machine and come out anywhere. I have a free
1: pass. (laughs) And you can pair notes with somebody else. And like, that's just not the world they're experiencing. Right. That's the part of perspective taking that I've really learned. And and for listeners that are curious about that topic, thought leaders, it's it's, uh, Teresa Wiseman. Dr. Teresa Wiseman came up with the term. And Brene Brown has a podcast. Amazing. Phenomenal. And all of her books are phenomenal. She digs much more deeply into this topic. But... I think you know being able to empathize with somebody that's different than you, and that this is the point I think that we're really at racially, because white people don't know how. Like you, Doug, you were just curious. You showed up, right? That's a great right. thing that allies can do. I'm curious. Am I here to save the day? Right, not kidding? here
0: to save it, just to <laughs> witness it. Yeah,
1: I'm here to learn, and yep. then I'm here to learn. I can ask questions and challenge things because the great thing about especially. Whether you're white or male or whatever privilege you have, this is an opportunity to help.
0: Yeah.
1: People are gonna listen to you more because what what skin in the game does he have? You know, yeah. why does he care about this? And so when you speak out, your voice is just more likely to be heard. Right. You know, when I speak out, especially about gender stuff, oh, there she's using the woman card. <laughs> my right, card, by the way, it's part of my identity. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> something, that something
0: you were born with
1: yeah. yeah, it's not a black card like there's yeah. no card game being played here no one's winning <laughs> right right yeah but people don't value what i say because they see that i'm affected by it and and, and then you can get into the victim mode. you know there's all sorts of things that go into it even though that's not my message but when you talk about it people listen and so this is, this is really, I believe where we are at as a society, a pivotal time to engage white men, especially in the conversation. So thank you. Thank you for that story. I think it illuminates what, what, what people like you can do.
0: Well, and and truth be told, I think I said this on your podcast, I was scared crapless being on oh, your okay. podcast, right? Because, because I didn't, I didn't you know I, and it was because of all of those experiences and presuppositions mm-hmm. and everything else and then when you broke out the word ally i i everything relaxed and it was mm-hmm. and it was because um you know for people that know, don't don't uh, well i think people know that listen to me but jen Jen sack was or jen golding now you yep. know was my my business partner with dk and i purposely sought out a woman Um, it wasn't because I wanted to, you know, publicly have this, you know, (laughs) you know, this persona or anything, but it was that I knew that I had weaknesses just as a, as a man, um, that, that put me behind from a, from a, how am I going to, how am I going to work in the marketing industry where probably 80% of, of the staff are women, right? Go walk into a PR agency and Mm -hmm. And what do you you know you're going to wind up seeing a typically a woman run woman led organization? How am I going to relate and and do business with these people if I don't have that perspective you know internal? And so Jen Jen and I love each other still today. I was just talking to her this week, and uh and and part of it was our our disagreement and. And, and a lot of it was just me, you know, her, you know, getting frustrated with me and me getting frustrated with her. And all it was, was literally all of these life experiences, you know, that led us to that mm-hmm. point. And so I've always thought that uh, it made the company, well, I don't, I I can't say I think it made the company absolutely stronger. If I had you know. a, if I had a a, a male, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't even say that. If I had a leader or a customer that came in that was very headstrong because it could have been a male or a female and, and dominant and, and everything else, I could handle them really well. If I had, if I had a leader that came in that was um, very passive and kind and everything else, I would run them over. Yeah. And so Jen and I kind of balanced each other where when she got someone headstrong and, and tough... I, I got on the phone and, you know, and worked with them when she had someone that, you know, I was going to hurt their feelings, <laughs> you know, and I, and I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make this a, this is men or rough and women are, you know,
1: well, it personality styles, but, it, right? but, it, but it was, personality yeah. but it was, we
0: balanced each other so well uh, just because she approached a, a, a topic most of the time that she approached a topic with a client was she was empathetic to their problem and and really wanted to understand why and what was happening internal. Me, I wanted to win. Yeah. I, I And it was competition, capitalism, you know, uh, race to the finish line, you know, and so our approaches were dynamically different. And so the combination of us was a home run. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, it's often called like the yin-yang effect is what I call it. And whether that's gender or again, any diversity dimension, uh, you're you're much more likely to approach things differently, to again, learn from each other, to have different types of ideas. So there's a reason why these business results numbers are higher. Um, an interesting example of this dog is um, one of my friends shared that she went dog sledding. Uh, this is like a year or so ago. But how they, how they've always operated dog sledding, uh, and they still do to this day, is that they have a male and female dog leading together. And so they're gender balanced, the dog sledding teams. And I just thought, wow, so this is really a primal thing. I mean, if you think about it, we naturally, as animals, (laughs) you know, are balanced out having both of those roles. So Isn't it strange that we have a society that's largely run by one? And why, you know, the benefits that we could have if we had both leading together, if it works for dogs, you know, not that that humans are as simple as dogs, but I think it raises a really good, like, biological perspective, a balance. And we are different. Like, it's okay to say we are different, right? Women do have scored higher on empathy and emotional intelligence. Now, some of that, a lot of that is socialized. But some right, of it is right, is but even
0: socialized as a reality, right, right,
1: yeah. right, and it's it's the strengths that we show up with. So if you're missing that on your team, what a great opportunity to tap into a different type of talent. And I think, Doug, for your listeners, you know, if you want to diversify your workforce, especially now with unemployment numbers high, you know, think intentionally about your next hires and how they could round out your team. If you have had layoffs or furloughs, think about who's been more impacted by that, because we know. That women were 60% of those that were unemployed and they were less than 50% of the workforce. That math does not add up, right? A lot of that is because we assume men are providers and women are caregivers, so women are more expendable it's a a human bias. I have that bias too. I got to check myself on that because it's certainly not the landscape of the working world in 2020, but we still think like that. People of color, uh, much more unemployed um, than those that were white and affected by this. So really, as you reset, and hopefully as the economy comes back, be very intentional with your hires because you can get, you can recalibrate, use this as an opportunity to recalibrate your team and build in, more diversity and it happens intentionally. It does not happen just by sheer chance. You know, I rarely hear of organizations like, yeah, we're just so diverse just because we, it happened. It doesn't work that way. You got to think it through. And that doesn't mean making exceptions or, you know, somehow there's
0: this this weird
1: bias out there. Like I have to lower the standard for diverse talent. Right. What are we saying there?
0: Yeah, exactly. What are
1: you implying? How do you know that? <laughs> right,
0: right. It's just again, it's it's these people that are different from you are not going to be in your circles.
1: Exactly, and they're not going to have. <laughs> so, they're not going to go to the same college that you went yeah, to. They're not yeah. going to have the same exact skill set and credentials. Like, isn't that good? They have something different. Why would you want someone just like you? But back to what you said, Doug, earlier, we are attracted to people just like us. And it's called affinity bias. It's a form of unconscious bias. And all humans have this, at least some of the time, where we 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 spend time in social circles with people like us. So one great tangible thing you can do as an ally is just take an inventory of who you spend time with. I think about it, top five people I choose to spend time with, not, maybe not your immediate family, you know, but the people you actually decide I want to spend time with. And especially now, isn't it real telling right now? Oh <laughs> my goodness, yes. <laughs> really yeah, the foes and friends. That's why I'm being so
0: quiet, Julie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's really magnified right now. So just do the top five in your head and think about it. Are they like me? You know, if you're like me, three years ago, and I'm in my mid-30s, I had arrived at a place in my life where, shame on me, it was white women that were business owners that were mothers. Hmm, just like me, you know? And what and and part of that was I felt shame in admitting that, and then I went to one of my friends, a uh, woman of color, and just asked her, like, what can I do? Like, yikes, this is uncomfortable. And she helped me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like, here's who you need to talk to. This is the book you need to read. Have you gone to this networking event? Have you thought about this, this, and this? Like, oh, well, like those are easy things I can do. And I'm proud to say, I mean, I haven't arrived. You don't get to arrive as an ally. I'm I'm learning on the journey, learning too. But you can absolutely change that. Like that networks are in flux all the time. You can build in diversity. And I have to tell you, I'm so thankful now that I have people I can talk to about hard things that I wouldn't be able to talk to those white women about before, um, that I have a more diverse network so that I can learn more.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think the key there is intention, you know, that as long as you utilize that intention, you can really, really go after this from a different, you know, seek a different perspective and it's going to take, it just takes work, right? I mean, our comfort zone is not there. So our no. comfort zone is the the opposite. And so I love would, that.
1: I, you don't learn when you're comfortable. It's impossible. I, like the learning journey. I mean, think about the last time you learned something hard. Were you really frustrated? <laughs> I know I get really frustrated. And then you think on the other side of it, I just remind myself I've done hard things before and it worked out. Right? especially now we're we're doing all of us are doing a lot of hard things right now. Uh this this will be a bellwether for me in the future to be like, hey, if you got through 2020 as a small business owner, imagine the things you can do. But it requires you to pivot. I mean, we really, we cannot, the status quo, doing the same thing, expecting different results, we all know is the definition of insanity. It requires a pivot. If you want something different, you've got to be willing to do something different.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's a, you know, currently we talked, you know, before the podcast where we were just talking about, you know, kind of economically with the collapse, you know, around the lockdown and pandemic, um, you know, the 40 million people out of work, Um there's uh, again, I'm not gonna say it, this is the reality, but there's I do think that there's a tendency that if you're a business leader and you're kind of gruff and and maybe you're a, a white male capitalist and I'm, I'm I'm not trying to to paint a picture here. I'm just saying that if if you don't really care about your employees, you just care about getting the work done, um, these economic hard times are amazing for you because, you know that there's a line of people 100 long that want the job there. And so you can lowball people, you can pick whoever you want, you can do whatever you want. And, and to your point, that's very short-term thinking, for one thing. Long-term, it's going to hurt your company. Uh, we know that, like you said, statistically. Um, but you know, for leaders that that look at a situation like this and they go, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can get the cream of the crop right now. There's also an opportunity, right, to get the best person that doesn't match, you know, and and to, to put the puzzle together where you can get the diverse pieces of your, of your company better than you could have before because those people were, you know, uh, companies with the big money and companies with the power and companies that had adopted diversity were going and snapping up all the talent right? Yeah. And now there's really an opportunity for you to go out there and, and put, you know, assemble just the best company that you can do. So right. what, so what too. can leaders do, you know, let's say step one is they're worried about the economic crisis. They're worried about, uh, and, and maybe diversity falls down on the list, right? You know, cause they're worried about paying their bills first. Yeah. Um, you know, well, is it is it intention again? You know what what can what can they do to kind of bring that to the surface and say you know what this is as important uh, as I'm looking at my economic vi- viability.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And um, I, I did a future of work co commission a future of work study, and we got about 260 responses, all sorts of industries, different levels inside an organization. And w- the question is, what do people want? right? What do we people want as we re- hit the reset button and things are going to look different in the future. We we know the big ones, virtual flexibility. But what came up really big, Doug, and that has to relate with diversity and inclusion is people want to be bring their full human self to work now more than ever. And so if you think this is, again, a nice to have, yeah, maybe in the short term. I, I'd kind of agree with you. Keeping the lights on, keeping cash flow coming in is, is probably going to be paramount for now. <laughs> you got to have a right. business to have people in it. But longer term, and I'm not talking years from now, I'm talking months from now, our actions are going to be remembered. People yes. are going to look back and say, who were the companies that stepped up and kept the employees and didn't do opportunistic layoffs just to pad the cash flow? Uh, I talked with a company yesterday uh, that is a publicly traded company on the stock market that does sports gambling. Okay. <laughs> so you might be able to guess who it is. They said, <laughs> you know, we absolutely had the case to lay everybody off. But then we thought, if we lay everybody off, these are the people that know our customers the best. How right. are we going to find those people again? And instead, we turn them into innovators and had them say, what are the things that we could be doing besides sports betting? How could we leverage our technology to do this, this, and this? She said, it's been amazing the new ideas they came up with. So next time there's a recession, because there's going to be, or there's going to be some other COVID type of event, We'll be able to pivot so much more easily because we'll know we have these ancillary services so we're not so um, connected just to one thing. So what a great opportunity, I think, for companies to learn from. And that's if you're in the privileged position to be able to continue to pay people. Um, if you're not, you might have to make some tough decisions. I don't want to discount that. But what I will say, going back to that study that I led, is... Number one on the list, the things that people wanted, we found, was a positive workplace culture. And Doug, that was actually above pay and health care benefits. So 85% of people said that was the most important thing, that they wanted a positive workplace culture. And then diversity and inclusion, while it wasn't first in their wish list of things to come back to work, it was fourth of 10 things that we gave them choices on. And wellness programs, you know, other things were at the bottom of the list that you might have thought were still relevant. So I want to say, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) The hesitance, and and so many of my clients hitting the pause button, time out for now, I I would caution you from hitting that pause button too long and too hard, right? This isn't, this is a journey. It's it's when you got to keep the accelerator on. You can't just hit the brake and start, stop, you know, (laughs) check one and done. You got to keep it going. So keep the focus on it. And that doesn't mean massive things right now. Maybe it means small things and just having open conversations right now about it. Longer term, we're going to make sure that we reignite our commitment to it.
0: I love that. I I think a lot of business leaders, uh, if you're operating out of a spreadsheet, you miss these aspects, right? You miss the institutional knowledge that you've invested in the people in your company. And so good on on that company for just Mm -hmm. recognizing that, oh my God, we finally assembled the team. We finally developed the team. We finally got the team, you know, working at, at all productive and now we're going to lay them off, it's, you know, so, so I, I- And you may I,
1: think they'll, they'll just come back, right? But you yeah. don't know that. I mean, no. they're really the best talent, your competitors are thinking, heck yeah, this is a yeah. golden opportunity. So yeah, the spreadsheet approach does not work. It's a business. Somebody that's managed my business by a spreadsheet. I can to that. <laughs> well, and,
0: and, and the, the other piece of that too was, well, while, while, you know, diversity might've been number four. It absolutely was a contributing factor to number one.
1: Right? Yeah. If, yeah. if,
0: if you feel um, safe, appreciated, um, empowered at your work, Uh, diversity is obviously something that's well-respected within the organization.
1: Yeah, and I think the way people will talk about it in the future, the language that I'm hearing is inclusive leadership. We want to be an inclusive workplace where people can bring their full selves to work. I mean, think about how much we learn about people from Zoom calls. Yeah. I mean you really get you get to see their pets, their work yeah. their home, maybe <laughs> yeah. their family. Yeah. I've heard so many people say I've gotten to know people better during this time period. And that really begs the question, why? Why were we waiting so long to get to know each other? And on the other side of this, our humanity is what really connects us. And so thinking about how to leverage this and not just go right back into the the grind again, how to be really intentional with creating these experiences where we continue to get to know each other as real human beings in the workplace. Yeah,
0: that's that's a fantastic lesson. Julie, I love talking to you just because you you don't make me feel bad.
1: <laughs> you know, the white guys have said this to me a lot. This is what, I will say there's been a silver lining of all of this has been, I've gotten <laughs> to talk to people I don't always talk to because it's so easy for me to be on female podcasts, you know, other diversity podcasts. But this one, I, these strike my curiosity because your listeners probably don't hear about this stuff very often. And to your point, I think you get a lot of shame of like you're that problem, you know, like, you didn't say that right. And I just can't take that approach. Um, and I don't think, I don't think most people want to, they're just dealing with the pain you know, the women that you may have experienced over the years that are polarizing, like they probably have their own personal pain that they're dealing with. They've dealt with people like you and you remember, they remind it and is it triggered. So a man out there, if you've gotten that message, it's not intentional. It's probably because someone's dealing with their own thing that they're projecting on you. So it's it's usually not about you.
0: <laughs> well and, and it's and it's projection but it's also you know we, we tend to clump these stories right yeah. you just said before that when you start to know someone personally you know it starts to open up and and so when we when we read an article that is you know um you know it's focused on gender it's focused there's always stats in there right and the stats yeah. always the stats always point to this is the problem you know and and so and then you sit there and go wait a second i'm I, I'm not the problem. I'm, like, I I'm promise. Yeah. yeah. And, then, like, and
1: then It's like, I don't want to talk about that. Cause I'm going to say or do the wrong thing and then they're going to think I'm the problem. So it's a self-fulfilling thing. We've really got to rewrite that narrative. Like now is the time. Um, we need all allies, especially the ones with the loudest voices, the ones that are going to be heard the most. And that is white men. So I commend you for, you know, doing the uncomfortable stuff and talking about this stuff and, and uh, a listener if you don't have to be perfect with this you don't have to be perfect just listen that's really all you have to do step one just listen be curious be willing to learn um, we don't need perfect allies um, we don't and if you said you're perfect you're not like just let people be who they are and show up authentically
0: that's fantastic now let's let's flip the coin we've talked about leadership you know quite a bit here um let's talk about the reverse let's, let's so if you're, um you know, someone that feels marginalized, uh, someone that feels like you're not being heard and now you're unemployed, you're you know and and a significant portion of that 40 million people that just lost their jobs are this, right? Um, you know, how do you how do you approach uh, you know when you're going after a job? Uh, because I'll, I'll tell you uh, you know, just personal experience. If if I want to hear your differences, I want to hear that you're you're differentiating yourself from all the other candidates, you know. And so things like where you went to school and how you grew up and and uh, race, gender, you know, those are all important, you know. And and I think we tend to gloss over. We're like. I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff, you know, yeah, because bring I, because... your differences
1: to the table. Like you said, they're differentiators. What what can I bring to the team? And I, I think it's 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 okay to candidly talk about that. Like as a woman, I have this perspective, or I notice that a lot of our customers are a b and c you know i i've i can represent those things so really calling attention to your unique differentiators now more than ever and, and i think too the other thing that marginalized groups tend to do is un- not underscore their transferable skills i've never done this exact thing before Women historically do this all the time. You know, men, you hit 90% of the, or 60% of the the criteria on a job description I'm applying. You know, women, they're like 90, 95% they want to hit because they think they're actually requirements because that's what it says on the list. It oh my God, like you,
0: you know. just nailed it. I told my daughter that same exact thing. She was like, well, but I have a PR degree. I'm like, they don't
1: care. No, you know? no, so don't <laughs> worry. Don't worry. And, and, being able to tell that story of, yeah, I have a PR degree and that brings these skills to the table rather than excusing, Oh, I just have this PR degree. Right. Uh, it's how you frame it. It's how you talk about it and think about the, the experience you've had that are like that. And for women right now, there's a real caregiving crisis uh, in our country um, with e-learning and now going to the summer months when not having access to day camps and things that women traditionally li- relied on. And women are 70% of primary caregivers. This is a big deal. But all of the things you do to run a household holy smokes, there's a reason that women can do multitask really well and project manage. And so being able to tell that story of running your household finances and how you can run a budget, you know, there, there are things that are transferable between work and home. And I think we're starting to see that line get so blurred and men participating more in the caregiving. So this is a really good time to challenge those assumptions of it had to be done in a corporate environment for it to count. Did it? Why? You still have that skill.
0: And there, are, you know, compounding that is, is the fact that consumers and businesses alike are now looking at other partners and companies that they wish to do business with. Uh, Mark Schaefer is a, is a good friend of mine, and he writes about this quite a bit. You know that that companies are are now being very public about their approach to diversity, very public about um, even political, you know, activity and everything else. The reason why is because they want to you know, relate, they, they don't want to just be a brand. They don't want to just be a logo because a logo can be replaced by the next logo. Um, But, but if they can show that they're human, if they can show that they're, they care, that they relate, then the opportunity from a, from a consumer standpoint is now all of a sudden people build a personal relationship with your brand. And, and, and so there's, there's great opportunities there from a business perspective as well. So Mm -hmm. I,
1: when people remember how you feel, right? You remember how you feel with an experience of the brand. That's why brands are so impactful. It's it's not the tangible bullet points and, you know, vectors and data. It's the feeling you get from the experience of, of that brand.
0: It's the brilliance yeah. of Coca-Cola, right? Every event, every <laughs> event, every event that you go to has a Coca-Cola sign. Why? not Mm -hmm. because you're going to go buy a Coke. It's so that you remember how happy you were at the event and you align that with, with that brand.
1: Yeah. And when you have a diverse team, like that, the feelings you create, right. You're more likely to invoke those feelings across different types of people, especially the ones you want to attract into your business or community.
0: Well, this is, uh, Always enlightening, and I I do want to encourage people. I know you didn't come on here for it, but um, you've written two books now,
1: three actually. So we met back in the day when I wrote one about how male allies uh, can help women with gender a partner with women with gender equality, and the latest work is "Lead Like an Ally," and it's a, a tale of corporate America and how to facilitate inclusion. So. For those that want to lead like allies, I encourage you. Both are simple, short reads, um, but also told in the form of story, um, so you can learn from other people's stories, much like we did in our conversation today. And each have toolkits so that you can embark on your own journey and uh, take some steps for positive change.
0: That's fantastic, and we will put that uh, those links in the show notes as well. And then, um, and for people that want to, you know, contact you if they are seeking assistance, maybe with transforming their business um, where can they get a hold of
1: you? Yeah. Nextpivotpoint.com. I've got tons of resources. I have my podcast, video series, blogs, you name it. You can get all the free resources there. Um, and follow me on social media, my handles nextpivotpoint as well. And I post daily on LinkedIn at Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's always a pleasure, and I I um, appreciate call, calling you a friend after all. These years, <laughs> even though I yeah. might embar- even though you might be embarrassed to follow me on the social. I media. don't feel <laughs> that way at all. No, we need your
1: voice. We need your voice. It's good stuff. Well,
0: it's it's you know part of part of the part of being uh, you know somewhat successful in business and and having a lifestyle that that I have some freedom there, and yeah. so I I voice you know, and sometimes that, that is, uh, if I'm totally honest, sometimes that pushes people away. Um, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, but I'm somewhat in a position that I can do that. So I do it and I, I lob the grenades and I see what comes back, you know, and mm-hmm. my girlfriend's horrified by it. <laughs> yeah, my kids are sometimes horrified by it. No
1: fear. Um, yeah.
0: but, but I also want to say that, you know, these are, uh, I also welcome the conversations and I welcome the, I don't welcome people being angry at each other and calling names and everything else. And, and sometimes even myself, I get caught up in that and I start to get upset and everything else. And I have to walk away from, mm-hmm. you know, from that situation. But I, I really love the fact that uh, I can have this conversation with you and I don't feel intimidated, I don't feel, I literally sit here and think, I'm thinking about my new company, Highbridge, and I'm going, boy, what are we doing? Are we doing yeah. something intentional along those lines? You know, what, what could we do a little bit better on this? So yeah. um, I, I think that just that is a, a huge, huge step in the right direction.
1: Well, kudos, your company will be stronger for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Julie. And like I said to everybody, we will put all of this in the show notes. And uh, and follow Julie. Uh, definitely get a hold of her, especially if if you're running a company right now and you're looking around your you know at your employees and seeing you know one gender, one color. <laughs> you know it's going to be worth calling Julie to to identify not just uh, again not just trying to mix, but but really listening to how your business is operating because mm-hmm. of it, and yeah. how and the potential in, in operating better. Uh, yeah, when, when it's a
1: chance to be an ally. Yeah. I, I look at it that way; it's a positive thing.
0: Perfect. Thank you, and have a great day.
1: If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review.